the falafel, a plant-based street food savored by many cultures. Originating in Egypt nearly 7,500 years ago, does this dish loved by millions have a dark side? Today on Vegan Hacks, we talk all things falafel, and we hope it doesn't make you feel awful. Okay, this is Vegan Hacks. What was your favorite vegan meal this week? This week? Well, of course it was the falafel I ate for this show. (laughs) Well, hey, we're going to talk about falafels fully exposed. Is the plural of falafel falafels or falafel? (laughs) It's like moose. You know, like a moose, like multiple moose. It's not meese. It's just moose. I think it's like one of those words where it's just falafel is a sense of being. So it's like it's like falafel could be one. It could be falafel could be many. Yeah, I think it's just falafel. I I ate falafel. Well, you can share a falafel. Three balls of falafel. But um, I think the plural of falafel is falafel. Today, I uh, posted a picture of. Something I saw at Trader Joe's. I saw buffalo hummus and chocolate hummus next to each other in on the rack. Wow. And, I, and then I took a picture of it and I put it up on, on the Twitter and said, um, yes or no? <laughs> and what was the consensus? So far, some enthusiasm. People are like, hey, I haven't tried that yet. No concern about you know these odd kind of bizarre flavorings of hummus. I actually have tried the chocolate hummus. How was it? Strange. <laughs> I, I would imagine that's trying to cater to the American pumpkin spice latte audience. Yes. You know, people who eat hummus as, you know, their traditional family food for generations are not going to want to eat chocolate hummus. Well, but here's the thing. If you like chocolate and you like hummus, why not combine the two? <laughs> if you like sardines and you like bananas, why not eat them both at the same time? Okay, so related to hummus, our subject is falafel. Falafel is a very simple dish. You don't know what a falafel is. It's basically uh, chickpeas two different ways. One as hummus, one as a fritter falafel ball. It's uh, served on a pita bread or flatbread. The the falafel balls are fried, uh, lettuce, tomato, and then topped with a sesame sauce called a tahina. And uh, it's quite delicious. Uh, You can find it at your local mall at uh, the Middle Eastern place. You can, some people have in cities have sold on the streets. And and also, you know, you also can see that dish dressed up as a falafel plate at more upscale restaurants. It's a good source of protein. It is fried, you know, it is fast food. Sometimes it could be greasy. I consider it the most ancient of vegan hacks. You can trace the chickpea back 7,500 years when the civilizations and governments started to form. A, a food staple, something that also can be stored. Because it's portable. And so, you know, rather than meat, which goes bad, you can, uh, you know, take it with you and eat along the way if you're crossing, say, a desert. The Coptic Christians would take the chickpeas and create what we know as the falafel as meat replacement for Lent. So that was a, the first vegan option. And I understand, Michael, that you have kind of a personal experience about falafel that relates to your family. Well, 
my mother's side of the family is from Israel, and they had lived there even before it was called that. It was most recently British-occupied Palestine. And she survived the chaotic and violent birth of the nation. I mean, one of her earliest memories was sitting on her father's shoulders to watch tanks roll through the streets in a victory parade for the first Arab-Israeli war. The day after the Jews celebrated Israel's independence is commemorated by Palestinians as Nakba Day, the day that they call the catastrophe, the day as they see it, they were displaced from their land. Now, there are many sides to that story, and the Israel-Palestine conflict certainly weighs on me. Sometimes I find myself zoned out debating either side of it against myself. And I think to a limited extent, the conflict over cultural appropriation, over who lays claim to falafel, is like this tiny microcosm, a miniaturized version of the vastly more significant conflict of who lays claim to that land. As a child, I spent almost every summer in Israel, and before I was vegan or even vegetarian, I loved falafel. When done right, it's this perfect street food. And one of my earliest memories was going with my aunt through the shuk, or what Arabs would call the souk, essentially an open-air bazaar. And at the end were two falafel stands. One was run by an Arab and the other was run by a Jew. They were both fantastic, and we would alternate between the two. One day, the Jewish falafel vendor urged my aunt to only support his business on the basis that he was Jewish and the other stand was run by Arabs. But my aunt did not appreciate this appeal to prejudice and tribalism. So that day, she took us to the Arab one instead. Because there's this underlying wound, something as seemingly innocuous as the pronunciation of hummus becomes a sticking point. As a child, I was taught the Hebrew pronunciation hummus. Later in life, I befriended a Palestinian-American woman who would shudder if she heard it said that way. It was hummus, and making the pronunciation Hebrew was just another way that she felt the Zionist occupier was taking something that belonged to the Arabs and passing it off as their own. And I see why she felt the way she did, but I also see why Zionists feel the way they do. And of course, I don't presume to have a solution to the Middle East conflict, but I'll tell you, every time I bite into a delicious steaming falafel ball, it does make me think of that yet unresolved struggle. You know, it's like the, the, the beauty and the pain and the, the seductive quality of, of life, but also the, you know, the, the complexity. Complexity is right. I mean, if anyone claims to understand the Middle East conflicts, you know, they only understand it through a lens. They only understand a corner of it. They only understand a bit of it. It's just, I mean, from food to land to culture to, it's just so intractable and so overwhelming. I mean, to clarify, there, there's no war over, you know, the war isn't about falafel, but falafel is just one more expression of this underlying conflict. I mean, then again, maybe parts of it, you know, part, culture, it is about falafel in some tiny, limited extent. The main subject is cultural appropriation. A larger group, a more powerful group, a group that has resources, takes ownership on something created by a, a smaller uh, oppressed group and, and profits from it it profits it and then and then also dumbs it down or creates 
you know the the chocolate hummus and the yeah the, the, I, the pumpkin spice I, I, hummus and <laughs> I hope the Israelis are not responsible for chocolate hummus, but who knows? Is we can't lay blame on everyone that cooks their food. I mean, cultural appropriation is something that definitely exists, and maybe also is a way for people to be introduced to a culture and then learn about the real the real deal. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have the factory hummus, you know, get get a Sabra and go, yeah, this is really good. Yeah, hey, but have you had the real stuff? You know, do you want the real stuff with, you know, tahina and made by uh, grandma? And and so uh, sometimes cultural appropriation might be a, a gateway to finding authentic foods as well. Here in America, when I was growing up, I, I mean, I, I always thought, I guess, being a maybe a child in the 70s, Falafel was sort of hippie food. There was a place on um, Fairfax, Ida Pita, mm-hmm. and no longer exists anymore. But there was like it's just kind of these cool, funky places where you know they that usually... place was around even in the mid two two thousands, two thousand ten something. Yeah, it was replaced by a Supreme store. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, but no, it's funny that you say it's like hippie food. I could see how hippies are like some of the early vegetarians and they didn't have the same options we have now like veggie burgers and other uh, substitutions for meat so that was like a patty like a protein source that's cooked in sort of the style of meat in a way and so it becomes a good substitution if you don't want to only have unprocessed like vegetables and lettuce and rice and all that your your main part of the meal the protein source and in fact going back to Israel part of the reason Israel has claimed it as their national food was because after their um, the first Arab Israeli war Israel was really poor and so they really couldn't afford much meat and so as an austerity measure they made falafel kind of one of their main protein dishes Israelis brought falafel and a lot of Middle Eastern food to America and Europe, you know, through restaurants and markets and uh, small street vendors. And so your first taste of a falafel probably was an Israeli version of this of this dish. Mine certainly was, but (laughs) that's for obvious reasons. I don't know if yours was. I mean, because you're an Armenian background, right? And they they, they do the falafel too, right? Greeks do it. A lot of people lay claim to it. Maybe it had to do with being in an Armenian-American world and the the fact that falafel was always street food and not Mm -hmm. necessarily something that would be at a dinner table. And uh, we had many Armenian things that kind of cross over grape leaves and uh, pilaf and uh, tabuli. We, we call it tabule, mm-hmm. which is different pronunciation. So we had a lot of the same foods. My experience having falafel was when I used to sell jewelry at a Renaissance fair and I was maybe 13, 14 years old. And I started expo- experimenting with not eating meat and not wanting to eat animal product and it was a thing where I could just like walk to this booth and get a falafel and enjoy it and uh, it was not necessarily the most sophisticated falafel but it was a a delicious falafel you know satisfied me sophistication Uh, is not a word I really associate with falafel I mean it is a simple food and that's kind of part of its beauty 
The, the other well elephant in the room before we maybe we'll go to the the other side of falafel, the happy you know yummy mm-hmm. side of falafel, is these large corporations that want to have hummus. That's my pronunciation on every table. Like, let's say a big company like Sabra. Sabra mm-hmm. is jointly owned by PepsiCo and an Israeli manufacturer called the Strauss Group, and they control sixty percent of the market. The one thing about Sabra is because it's mass-produced and and mass-exported and distributed, it's probably the most common hummus that you would find. It's like like you get it at a Starbucks with a a bunch of rolled gold pretzels. Right. Yeah, I remember that. You get it, you know, at most markets. So it's the most distributed and widely recognized hummus among Americans. Yeah. And the oh, other... let's just clarify for our listeners. The reason why we're now talking about hummus is it just kind of goes hand in hand with falafel. It's like part of the, they go together. The other element of Sabra is it has the most artificial ingredients of all the hummus manufacturers. Because of preservatives so that it'll keep well for a long time? It's best to enjoy more local purveyors Fresh. of this. You can go to a... A, a local store that makes their own hu- hummus, which is there's is a quite huge delicious. difference in the way it tastes. If you, if your only experience of hummus, 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 whatever you want to call it, um, is sabra, um, you haven't really had hummus. Falafel and hummus, they're all rapidly depreciating foods. The falafel balls. When you first take them out of the fryer, they're scalding, and then a couple seconds later, they're perfect. And every second that goes by is a second closer to it becoming this yucky, bready thing, this crouton-ish food. Like, it has to be fresh. And I think hummus, less so, but still, it's just, it hits different. The interesting thing about the falafel as a food concept, state of mind, cuisine, is all about preparation and... Everything has to be done right on the spot for it to be that A1 falafel experience. The falafel balls have to be fried on the spot. The hummus has to be prepared a certain way with a certain consistency. It can't be grainy. It can't be over right. It can't be watery. Yes. And all these elements have to come together to, In make, perfect it, timing. to make that perfect bite. And, and you have yeah. to consume it right when it's made and so that's the interesting thing too about you know people consider it fast food but if you go to a real falafel joint it's going to take maybe 10 minutes for them to put your falafel together because all of these elements have to sort of dovetail together to make Mm -hmm. here it is versus i don't know there's a place in north hollywood that i i've that was near a place where i was working and we would all go there and it was a middle eastern place and i wasn't a big fan of it because They were trying to do this kind of subway Middle Eastern concept. Mm. Falafel balls are just kind of sitting off to the side on a heat lamp, you know, like French fries. And they would just basically put it together that American style. Like, you want this, you want that, boom, 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 boom. There was a disconnect. and It it could be good enough, but it doesn't give you that dopamine hit you get when you have it all fresh and perfect. Yeah, you you can't go back to the farm once you saw Paris. (laughs) (laughs) So, so I guess this is kind of leads into our falafel experiences. I went to Taim Grill, which is on Melrose. Taim actually translates to yummy or tasty in Hebrew. 
I, I do wish I could go to a, an Arab place. I just, I don't know of one nearby. I mean, I'm sure there is one. I'm just uninformed. But um, Taim Grill's really good. Um, I had falafel on lafa bread, which is a, a thick, freshly made flat bread. You know, they make it, it's also hot when you get it. They, you know, and the, the falafel... They put uh, hummus in it. They put chopped salad, tahini. What else? Some, sometimes you can have French fries in it, which I, I don't know. Some people think that's a travesty also, but I think it's great. Did you put French and fries in yours? I did, yeah. Oh, how dare um, you. And I think Taim Grill's strategy is kind of shock and awe. They give you this gigantic wrap, especially if you have it on lafa bread, that's just overwhelming. It's like you can't you can't open your mouth wide enough to fit it inside. Do they roll um, like a burrito? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, you, yeah. You've never had it on lafa bread? No, no, I had it on lafa too. Yeah, so, right. it's, so, so. yeah, it's like a burrito, but bigger and thicker. And you just like, if you eat it all, you're going to feel too full. Especially if you get this combo with fries on the side. It's just like, forget about it. It's just, it's gigantic. Uh, maybe it's a good thing to share with someone if you get the combo. Just cut it in half and each have half of it and half the fries. And I think that's like a normal sized meal. It's this overwhelming abundance and this sensory overload of flavors. The hummus has the right tartness to it. The falafel is warm. It has that green spice in it. I don't know if they're um, parsley or leeks or what, but it's really good. And um, overall, uh, I have to I have to give it a thumbs up. What shape were the falafel balls? What like, like How big were oh. they? Were they round? What were the... Okay, they were... Not quite round. They're more like oval. Okay. Like almost egg-shaped. Okay. And I would say that on the long end, they're about two inches. And on the short end, they were like an inch and a half. Because, because that's the thing. Falafel balls can come in many different shapes. They can yeah. Be like, I've seen them like like tiny, like smaller than golf balls. Round. Sure. Completely round. I've seen them like donuts. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've seen that too. And yeah, then, those are, those can and be then actually my falafel was probably the same kind of like kind of an ovalish ho- hockey puck oh okay yeah, yeah kind of hockey puck style you know but mm-hmm. there was like i mean maybe four three or four okay I'll, uh, that so so you had a great experience i want to go there that sounds like like freaking awesome we should go yeah we'll do it my falafel place this is my favorite falafel place it's also an israeli uh owned run place it's called joe's falafel and it's on Kuenga. and here's the thing about joe's falafel you know, you go on Yelp, and sometimes it's misleading, but they have over 2,500 positive reviews, you know? Ooh. And it's like, you know, four and a half stars, 2,500 people reviewed this place. Wow, I've and try it. it's a place that I've been going to for the last four years, ever since they opened. And uh, again, that was like the first time I actually saw them make lafa bread, and I realized, like, okay, that's how, if, if there's an option to get a lafa falafel, or I think they call it falafel lafa. Lafa lafal. Lafa lafa. <laughs> and they have a tandoor style oven where they take the dough and they, they flatten it and then they put it on oh, a, a cushion and then they put it on the side of this oven and it heats up and creates the, this kind of bubbly flatbread. Everything at Joe's is made to order they start the falafel balls when you make the order they start the the bread they start the falafel balls and then they just put it together they have a great hummus 
recipe that's freaking awesome. The falafel balls are, you know, very hearty. They assemble it very well. They have a really nice um, hot sauce as well. I put hot sauce on the inside and I got some on the side as well. You just can tell there's just so much love that goes into that falafel. And the fact that the guy who runs it, who owns the place, is there and he's helping make the falafel. I mean, he has other people helping it as well because it's a very popular place. They care about what they're putting together. It's not like some assembly line thing. It's something that they know. They've, they, they've made thousands of falafels. They know exactly how to put it together and make it just taste awesome. I'm sold. Gotta try it. Food is a way we can share you know, cultural experiences. But it is interesting when you revealed your story, there's way more to the story than just, oh, look at this Middle Eastern, Israeli, Arab food. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's more to if it. If anyone should be claiming it, it's the Copts, who, if, if I'm not mistaken, don't identify as Arabs. So we all, like everybody appropriated it from them. Sure, yeah, we can argue forever. I, I think the best thing to do is just enjoy it for what it is, a delicious food, and be open-minded to everybody having their own story and acknowledging the validity of everyone's experience. We also are human and we all have the same human experiences and and if we can communicate through music and art and, and food, uh, these are ways that we can find common ground to uh, you know, improve relationships and improve the way we relate to one another and uh, I do think that in some inshallah yeah I do think that in some ways the digital world has um, opened up a lot of avenues I mean obviously there's a lot of hate and spew and, and angry people but also you know you go on TikTok or you go on these Instagram and you see people sharing their culture in all these different ways that uh, you wouldn't normally see and so if you have any kind of preconceived notion about what that person in China would be like, you see a different aspect or you, yeah. you can have friends across the world now. The world is getting smaller and uh, everybody's sharing a bit of themselves. And, you know, let's pray for one day when people don't fight over lines drawn on a map and uh, we all look at each other as individuals and not as members of a tribe. Life is like a falafel. You know, you got the, you got the, the crusty bread that's the mantle of the earth. I'll stop. <laughs> I see where you're going with that. <laughs> I see I see what you were trying to do. Yeah. Life is like a very messy falafel that just yeah. gets all over your shirt. <laughs> but it tastes delicious. Okay. Well, I think we did it. We did the falafel episode. <laughs> uh, we concluded the episode, yes. <laughs> Before we go, there's a couple of really important things I need to talk about. The world's largest falafel ball was made in Amman, Jordan, July 2012, and it was 164 pounds. Wow. What was the diameter? Do you, you see a photo of it? I didn't. You know, it's was, it was interesting. I did see like a couple of falafel balls that were like 50 pounds, and they look pretty impressive. But Sorry, you said 164 yeah, pounds? Yeah, yeah. And then, so it's like basically a falafel ball the size of you. It's like someone, someone, and you're denser than a falafel ball, so I'm guessing <laughs> it's larger than you. So it's like, I'm just trying to picture it. Like, do, do you slather it in hummus? 
do you like do you put it is it wrapped in a gigantic lava? Do they add lettuce and things? Do they have gigantic tomatoes? I'm so excited at the thought of this enormous falafel ball. I want to eat it um, over time. Well, here's the thing. In Jordan, in, I guess, 2019, supposedly they made the largest falafel. And and it proportionately, it's a little different. Okay, the world's largest falafel was 223 pounds. And oh, was, with multiple balls. You mean like the largest serving of falafel? Yeah, and, and they actually had a picture of it. It was at some resort, and they then wow. there's like a it, it, you know here's the thing about giant food. It's not going to taste as good as like you know things that are made. No, human because size. when you dip it in a fryer, you're not going to get that heat to the center of the ball. It's it it has so much uh, matter to travel through. The center is going to be undercooked for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. I mean, what about that 164-pound that falafel ball? I mean, what did they fry it in, like a jacuzzi? I don't know. You could eat the outer ends of it, but when you get in the middle, it's just going to be gross. Um, so, I, okay, now you burst my bubble. I'm less excited about oh, it. Oh, yeah. You know what? You, when we were talking about this, you didn't want to get people angry with you. And now all mm-hmm. the people that are making the giant falafel are going to be going to hate us. <laughs> Um, no, I praise them for their effort and for their showmanship. And who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. I would love to chop the falafel in half and try a little bit of the center and see what happens. All right. Um, well, we're, no, we're going to do that. You know, we're, we're going to we're going to try to track down that giant falafel. I'm sure there's still some leftover. It was eaten by a giant person, like a, a <laughs> you know, Jack it was only made eight song. years ago. I'm sure something in a ref- maybe Sabra went ahead and they oh, they refrigerated gosh. it, put their preservatives in it, and they're mm. they're selling it right now. You know, there's a lady who has a McDonald's Happy Meal from 30 years ago, and it still looks more... It doesn't look rotten. It's just been preserved. She takes it out of her little shoebox once in a while to show it to journalists. No joke. Okay, okay. what type of mind is like, okay, I got this Happy Meal. I'm going to save it for decades. It's just to show that it has so many preservatives that, you know, even if there were a nuclear holocaust, it would still survive like cockroaches. (laughs) 